Keep your car looking its absolute best year-round with 303 Cleaners and Protectants. 303's revolutionary graphene nanospray coating gives you professional protection in a simple, easy-to-use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to 12 months and give an insane level of depth and gloss. You can also use their brand new 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine throughout the year. It can even be used for quick cleanups of light dust and fingerprints in between washes. For a one-two punch to keep your car licking its best, look no further than 303's line of graphene products. 303 Graphene Nano Spray Coating to protect and 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine. Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information. Home to all the jaw-dropping moments. Home to all the best plays in the league. Home to your favorite players from the cities you love. MLB.tv is the home of streaming baseball. Home or away, catch all the MLB action this season with live and on-demand content across all your devices. Enjoy MLB Big Inning, select pregame and postgame coverage, and an expanded library of highlights and content. Never miss a moment of the action with MLB.tv. Stream every game from every team all season long with MLB.tv. Blackout and other restrictions apply. And now, please welcome Rob Bradford. It's time for the Bradford Files, right now on WEEI.com. Welcome to another edition of the Bradford Files. Today's guest is Red Sox hitting coach Dave Magadan. Among the topics we discussed were Carl Crawford, who Magadan just recently visited down in Houston, and he'll talk about Crawford's struggles this year and what he has to do going forward into his second year with the Red Sox. We also talked about Adrian Gonzalez and his power outage in the last couple months of the season. Jacoby Ellsbury, his ascension into one of the best hitters in, in the American League. And Bobby Valentine, who the Red Sox new manager, who Magadan had no history with before Valentine gave him the call to invite him back on the coaching staff. So with no further ado, I give you Dave Magadan. Dave, thanks for joining me, and um, I guess welcome back. You never left, but uh, just talk a little bit about the last two months, if you could, about if there was any anxiety or if, or if you just felt a member of the Boston Red Sox the entire time? Well, I mean, it was, it was strange, to say the least. Uh, it was the first time I'd ever been, been in that situation. Um, you know, to, to go from the way we played that last month and, and then for two months not knowing whether I was going to be back or not, Tito getting fired right after the season ended, uh, you know, Ron Johnson and, and Rob Leary getting let go, and I think, you know, my conversations with the with the front office during that time, at the time, Theo was still there, and, uh, you know, with Ben, of course. And, you know, they always assured me that, you know, they would uh, give whoever our new manager was going to be my, their highest recommendation. And, and uh, you know, thank God uh, Bobby listened. <laughs> did, you, did you proceed kind of as normal? In other words, I know that... Uh, I was reading that you went down and talked to Carl Crawford. I know that you were part of the contingent that that looked at um, uh, Cespedes down in, in the Dominican. Um, is that this kind of you, we were just kind of doing business as normal? Yeah, I tried to. Uh, I was still in contact with the players, and and uh, you know I wouldn't say I was confident that I was going to be coming back, but I felt pretty good about my chances of coming back. So I didn't want to all of a sudden. Uh, you know, start from uh, square one when they name me the uh, hitting coach again. So I wanted to at least keep lines of communication open with the players and 
and then when they when Ben called me and asked me to go down there to uh, Santo Domingo and and see some Dominican players and a couple of the Cuban players, I, I you know I I think I felt a little bit better about my chances to come back. So mm-hmm. um, and and I felt the Carl Crawford visit was was needed. I think we we all realize as an organization that he's he's a he's going to be a huge part of us turning around turning this thing around and and. Uh, you know, I felt like it was important to go down there and, and have a physical visit with him. Yeah, I guess staying on the the Carl Crawford conversation in in regards to the progress he had over the year, and we talked a lot about you know, the adjustments that he's made and, and, and did make over the course of the year. Uh, do you sense that that he had to change anything dramatically from the from the time he was in Tampa Bay, or did he change anything dramatically, or was it just one of these ruts where players get in and and it just didn't work out and he's he's gonna try to continue the same sort of approach that he had when he was with the Rays it was a, I think it was a little bit of everything um I, I think he you know when when the season started and he got off to the poor start really the first series not that he was pressing but you know now they're starting to, you know the media was starting to ask him questions about you know I think he went one for 14 or something like that mm-hmm. in Texas and didn't have a lot of good at bats, and you know he was surprised by that. Then all of a sudden he starts to kind of, you know, uh, get two or three hits every at bat and, and prove everybody wrong and substantiate the big contract. And you know, so it, it was a it was a combination of a lot of things. I, I think he he did get a little bit away from what the mechanics of what he was doing in, in Tampa Bay. Uh, you know, he's a very athletic hitter. He's an athletic player. Uh, he's got great hand-eye coordination, you know. And when you look at video of him in Tampa Bay throughout the years, he, you know, he changed. He'd have a real open stance. There were times where he wasn't as open. There were times he stood up taller. There were times he was really squatted down. And and we we talked about it. And and he was just trying to get to a place where he felt comfortable at the plate. And uh, but but you know, I guess to answer your question, I think most of it was mentally trying to please everybody, trying to let, you know, make everybody, uh, you know, understand that he was worth the money mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, and, and just getting to a real bad place mentally. And, and then it just kind of snowballed. But, you know, it's like I told him towards the end of the year uh, when he got his average up to, you know, 260 in that area. And, you know, when you looked at you eliminate that first month, his numbers were pretty close to what they normally would have been mm-hmm. uh, if you would have, you know, if he would have had just a normal first month of the season. I mean, that's what you have to do as a hitting coach. You know, you have to sometimes find a way to get the guys look at the bright side, and 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 uh, you know, sometimes that can get them going. From a from a in regards to Carl, from a technical aspect, a lot of people look at his stance and his approach and say, you know, what is he doing? How could a hitter possibly hit a baseball that way? Not really understanding that, like you said, he had a lot of success in in doing this approach with the open stance. From a technical aspect, why is he able to do it? Why does he do it that way? And will he continue to pretty much have that same foundation of having that open stance going forward? I think the most important thing, I mean, you look at Kevin Euclid, and I'm sure if he, you know, like last year, he kind of had a little bit, of a, little bit of an off here. But people look at his stance and like, how can anybody hit that way? The most important thing is it doesn't. It's not necessarily so much uh, your stance and your setup. Is 
okay, is he ready on time, and is he in the right position when the ball is in the hitting area? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're hitting like Pedroia or Euclid or David Ortiz or Carl Crawford. Uh, if you're not ready to hit when the ball's there to be hit, you're not going to hit the ball hard on a consistent basis. And, you know, I wasn't as concerned. Yeah, you know, it was part of the conversation how open he was. I mean, in spring training, his right foot was out of the batter's box. He was so open. So that was pretty drastic. And we, you know, I I kind of broached the subject with him in spring training. I I didn't want to make it to be a big thing. I just asked him about it. And, you know, he said, well, no, you know, sometimes I get real wide. It's comfort so on and so forth, mm-hmm. but my concern was, okay, you want to be open, that's fine. You want to have a certain stance, that's fine. You're just now ready to hit, and I think everybody that saw saw him play on a consistent basis last year just saw how inconsistent he was being ready to hit, especially the fastball. Mm-hmm. Uh, fouled off a lot of fastballs late, chasing them up out of the zone, uh, and then you know, trying to cheat to get to the fastball, then chasing the breaking ball down in the dirt. So it was it was a nasty combination. So I, I'm not really sure. I don't have my stuff in front of me right now, but it was maybe in beginning of June, late May, we started trying to go with a, with a very low stride. He wasn't late kicking. He was just getting his foot down mm-hmm. and trying to get himself to where he was seeing the ball and his his lower half was allowing him to drive through the ball instead of it being a real defensive on your heels type swing where you're kind of just you know you're not driving the ball you're just kind of making contact mm-hmm. so he he showed signs and you know he he in spurts got hot and raised his average from below 200 to you know the highest point that it reached you know in the 260s so uh but he was never really comfortable with that, and that's the biggest difference between being a hitting coach during the year and, and talking hitting in the off season. Mm. During the year, you need to make on-the-fly adjustments, and you're getting, you're having to deal with the results part of being a hitter. Mm. You know, you you need hits, and you need to put numbers on the board, and you know, you can't experiment a whole lot when when you're doing stuff during the season and playing every day. Mm-hmm. Mm. So. Part of my conversation with him when I went down to Houston was to make sure that when we go, you know, we go to spring training, that he hits the ground running. He's at a place where he wants to be, where I want him to be, so that he doesn't have to deal with these. I don't want to say drastic changes, mm-hmm. but getting himself in positions where he's not feeling real comfortable at the plate. Why was why was it? Why did you identify him as being the guy that? You really, you know, I really want to go down and talk to this guy. I want to get him in a good place heading into the in the season and start that foundation in the off season. Or are are there were there others on the radar uh, who you thought were equally as important in terms of meeting up with? Well, I, I mean, he's not going to be the only guy that I that I speak to and see. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just felt it was real important. And and Ben was was kind of the guy that that spearheaded, you know, talking to me and and. Uh, us communicating that maybe that was a good idea to get him early in the winter uh, when the season was still fairly fresh on his mind and get some some major feedback on what his feelings were of the year, the way it ended up, the the negativity from the fans and, and, and the media. He had never really experienced it that much in, in Tampa. He was, he was 
pretty much under the radar down here. So uh, just trying to get a feel for where his head was at and, you know, just uh, what he was thinking as far as, you know, looking ahead and, and maybe hit some goals that he might have for, for coming into spring training and, and what he wanted to do next year. You know, it's hmm. forget about the money, forget about the contract. We just want him to be the Carl Carford that he's always been and mm-hmm. not not anything more. And if he does that, then then he's doing what we expect out of him. The uh, the other guy who was kind of micromanaged throughout the course, I guess maybe more in the last couple of months than the first part of the season just because of his success with Adrian Gonzalez. And uh, a lot was made of, of his power dipping in the last, after the All-Star break. But in having come from the winter meetings, I had a few people suggest that it was a product of maybe that, you know, he had to get the shoulder ready and the shoulder wearing down and not be able to work out the same way or, or, but there was definitely obviously a difference in, in regards to the, the, the power that he was able to display and in that last month compared to earlier in the year. Um, was that, would that be a legitimate argument that, Hey, this was you know, getting back the shoulder a full season with a shoulder uh, or were there other things in, in play? No, I think the, what you heard at the winter meetings is pretty accurate. I mean, uh, coming from, you know, I had three shoulder surgeries, and, and I know what it's like. To, and I wasn't even playing every day when I came back from them. I was more of a utility player, platoon-type player. You know, when when you're spending your off season trying to rehab from a major surgery like that, and, and you know, I, I think he got to spring training and continued his rehab in spring training, didn't start hitting probably till the middle of, of, uh, of March or mm-hmm. playing in games. I think it wore on him, and as the season went on, and, you know, I'm a believer. I know he doesn't agree with it, but, you know, when he went to the All-Star game and took all those swings mm-hmm. and put that uh, that that amount of, of uh, fatigue on his shoulder and, and his body in general, uh, he was different when he came back, you know, and, you know, I know he, he doesn't, he doesn't uh, concur with that, he doesn't agree with it, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw a difference in his swing, uh, and then, you know, as as kind of the second half started to wear on, uh, you know, he really started, com- you know, I don't want to say complaining, but it, it was it was bothering him. His shoulder was bothering him, and, and what happens is you start changing the way you swing. You start cheating a little bit to get the balls, and you know, when he starts doing that, he loses his left his left field stroke because he's trying to get the head out and he's he's making a lot of outs on the pull side and mm-hmm. and uh you know it just uh, the the problem kind of uh kind of snowballed from there but uh, i i expect uh adrian to come into spring training and and have as good if not a better year than he did this year in, uh, in 2012 well I mean, that must be enormously frustrating for a player like him because you, you Clearly, he's he's an intelligent hitter. Clearly, he works hard at it. But this physically, as this you get to the end of the season, when especially when you're going through that type of slide, you're not able to execute like that you had been executing two months before. Uh, I, could you see that? Could you see the frustration? Um, and like you said, you've had gone through it before, so I would imagine that you kind of understand that sort of frustration. Yeah, no, he was very frustrated, but he. He's so good. I mean, that's what makes him such a good team leader. He stays very even keel. 
you don't see him throw his helmet a whole lot. You don't see him, you know, voice any disgust after he makes an out or anything like that. He's he understands that people are looking at him, and you know he's a he's a leader on the team, uh, both defensively and offensively. So he does a really good job of trying to trying to keep that even keel. But you could you could see. I mean, I we spent so much time together just when he's down in the cage doing his pre pre batting practice and pre game routine. It's you know he really had to limit himself. He didn't take batting practice on the field a whole lot the second half of the season, and he did. You know, 90% of his swinging down in the cage, either off the tee or off the machine or or uh, just in soft toss. So he, he really had to cut it down. Well, it's interesting because, you know, I know we, we talked a lot about the post-All-Star game and the effect of the All-Star game, but I think the the feeling was that that was along the lines of bat path, trying to hit home runs. We've saw it, you know, with other players before. But, but what you're saying is that it was more a product of this was an exhaustive experience this whole thing. And, yeah, I, I think, Rob, I think it was more, it was probably a combination of the two. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I mean, in watching the home run derby and seeing the balls that he was hitting, you know, seeing him hit in San Diego and, and throughout the first half of the season last year in all spring training, you know, I just never saw him hit that many homers to the pull side. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got enough juice where he can drive the ball you know, the left center, left straightaway left field, center field, uh, and to see him taking so many swings where, you know, he was catching the ball out front, not letting it travel, but trying to catch it out front to get it up in the air to the pull side. You know, I just never saw him take that many swings like that, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Not that he never took a swing like that during during the first half, but to have it condensed into just – one batting practice session and do it over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. To me, it, it can't help but leak into your, uh, in the, you know, lead into some bad habits. You know, in the second half. Well, in the the example of Gonzalez also probably helps paint the picture of the the, the lineup as a whole. And I, if you could give any kind of perspective in the last couple of weeks, especially, and every team gets banged up. You know, and it's a long season, but how banged up was this lineup up and down? We know, you know what Dustin was going through in regards to the foot, and you know what he had to adjust. But was was the were the position player was the the hitters were they banged up more than people knew? And we had some guys banged up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think most teams going into the last uh, month of the season, most of the guys are banged up pretty good. You talk to any team especially when your core players are out there playing every day, uh, not getting a lot of days off. Mm -hmm. Um, But, uh, yeah, I mean, there were some guys that really had to tough it out. I mean, Ellsbury had a great last month of the season. He was pretty banged up. He was tired. You know, he was was worn out. I think after we had that doubleheader against Oakland Mm -hmm. at the end of August, and then we had the two days off, uh, I think think mentally and physically guys were kind of worn down. Mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, Petey was dealing with a lot of physical physical things. Uh, David, uh, Adrian, Marco was was dealing with a lot of stuff. So mm-hmm. uh, it was tough. But that you know that's what that's what makes uh, you know baseball such a tough sport. It's not only the mental grind for for 162 games, but physically you get beat up. And our travel's kind of tough. Mm-hmm. I mean, not that we're complaining, but we have a you've 
traveled with us, and mm-hmm. you know how tough it can be when we're getting into cities when the sun's coming up and we got to play that day. And uh, I mean, it's tough on me as a as a coach. I could imagine how it is on the players. So uh, it was a combination of a lot of things. You talked about Ellsbury, and for for a hitting coach, that must have been extremely gratifying. Obviously, for Ellsbury, it was gratifying. But you know, you go back to spring training and and the things that you work on in terms of being able to identify pitches better, which, correct me if I'm wrong, but that was one of the biggest things with him, right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, no question. And, and did you see that as spring training went along? I, I think he had three home runs in spring training, which is more than he had any at any other time, and the ball was jumping off a little bit more. But could you see this coming at all with Ellsbury? I mean, I, I saw it coming in 2007 I mean to watch him take batting practice even back then when he was hitting a lot of balls the other way in the games and uh, when you see him take batting practice the way he can backspin a ball and the way he can drive a ball to all parts of the field I, I always thought it was just a matter of time before he was going to you know put up the type of numbers that he put up last year uh, and it, it kind of goes back to what I was saying about Carl you know when when you're so late being ready to hit, your, your hands aren't allowed to get back to that position where you can really drive the ball, and you're, and you're more or less hitting on your heels. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of what, what Els would do throughout his first, you know, four years in the league. You know, he was, there were times he would be ready, and he would have in his mind that he was going to swing at every pitch till it, till it was a ball. Uh, that's a big difference. You have to be ready to swing at every pitch. If you're up there trying to make sure it's a strike, and then decide, oh, it's a strike, and then try and swing, it, you're you're not going to drive the ball. It's going to be a defensive type swing. So as a hitter, you have to have the mentality that you're going to swing at every single pitch until it's a ball. And that's kind of what the next step that Els took uh, in 2011. He went from geez, I'm a leadoff hitter, I want to make sure I swing at strikes, and you know, I don't want to swing at balls, and, and he was a little bit defensive. He went from that to being what he was last year, where he was up there swinging first, still trying to get a strike, but being ready to hit every pitch and then taking it if it's a ball. And that, that's a big difference, and that's what made the biggest difference for Els last year, because... You know, you see him take BP where his mentality in batting practice is, I'm swinging at every pitch because every pitch is, is more or less a strike. So he's driving balls all over the field. Mm-hmm. Now he gets in the game and he's, you know, okay, now i got to make sure I get a strike because this guy may be a little wild. And that little bit of defensiveness got him a little bit behind the ball. His hands weren't getting back to that spot where he can drive the ball. And then you see him hit a lot of balls the other way. So... That to me, that's the biggest jump he made. Do you remember the? Mo- Do you remember when it clicked on a full time basis for him? Obviously, like you said, you could see the potential in him. You could see him maybe doing this once in a while. But was there a time in this season where you're like, he's doing this all the time, and this is going to be something that we see on a regular basis? Well, I, I, it was probably like you said in spring training, where it was like, oh, okay, here <laughs> we go. You know, he's uh, he looks like he's he's finally getting it. Uh, just the consistency of it. Uh, and then, you know, the season started. He he got off to a little bit of a rough start and, and uh, like he has throughout his career. But once he started hitting his stride in, in mid-May, late May, early June, and 
you know, it was looking like that consistency of, of looking to do damage was was something that that he was going to be able to he was going to be able to carry through on. So, uh, and then of course what he did in September was just incredible. Mm. The uh, one of the other interesting players, at least I find it inter- him interesting. Um, and, and the relationship that you had to develop with him in a short amount of time is Ryan LaVarnway. Mm-hmm. And I remember you saying that when he got back up to the major leagues, he was doing the same regimen uh, that he did in spring training, correct? Am I remembering that right? Right. Okay. Yeah, he did. And, and so, obviously, that, that regimen had worked throughout his time in, in the minor leagues. an unbelievable year. But in this short time he was, was up with Boston, what impressed you the most about him and – what are some of the things that you think, oh, you know what, he's going to be better at it, or he, he really should be better at this in the coming years? Probably just his quiet confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, he knows he can hit, and he knows what he has to do to prepare himself to, to have success in the games. Uh, you know, I, I think you see him 10 years down the line, his routine's probably going to change a little bit, uh, but he, you're right, he's very consistent with his routine. He was doing the same thing throughout the season, you know, when I'm in contact with, you know, Chili Davis and, and uh, Victor Rodriguez uh, throughout the year. You know, they update me on guys, and that's one thing they'd always say. He's very consistent with his, his work. He does the same thing every day, and it works for him. So, um, you know, he's a, he's a very sharp guy. He's very smart. He knows his swing, which is great for me because then now I can have a, a pretty good dialogue with him because, you know, that's a, probably one of the most frustrating things as a hitting coach when you're when you're talking hitting with a guy that really doesn't even know his own swing. Mm-hmm. It's hard to to kind of have a, a a good conversation with him with his swing. So, but uh, you know, he can hit. He can definitely hit, and, and he really improved behind the plate just mm-hmm. from spring training. Mm-hmm. You know, so they did a great job with him in AAA, and and uh, he's gonna. I th- I think he's gonna be a big contributor. This this might be a stupid question, but did you see any differences in the way Baltimore approached him in those last two games? Obviously, he had an enormous game in the second to last game. Yeah, they, they start they started pitching around Adrian to get to him. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they started really pitching him in off the plate and. And uh, you know they jammed them pretty bad on a couple couple balls. The uh, the double play balls were were really rolling off the plate. So, uh, but you know he that's just what what teams are going to do. Mm-hmm. You know he hits the two home runs a game before, and all right, let's try something different. Just so happened they got him out with it. He's probably a little over anxious, which I think normally uh, when he's in. Uh, at the top of his game, he's not going to swing at those pitches he ended up swinging at. But uh, you know, like I said, he's he's a very intelligent hitter, and and he's he'll figure things out. You guys signed um, Kelly Shopek today. Do you have uh, when when they're about to sign a guy like that? Did did you look at any Kelly Shopek film? Do they ask you about Kelly Shopek? Are you familiar with Kelly Shopek at all, or? What's your role in that, and, and will, will you talk to him in the, in the near future? Uh, I can't say that I had anything to do with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, obviously I'm familiar with Kelly because he was in the division, and, you know, even when he was in Cleveland, and, you know, I know that he's done a lot of damage against left-handed pitching, so that's, uh, that's going to be welcome on our team. But, uh, now, there was no uh, 
uh, phone call or any video that I looked at, and I, I think they felt pretty comfortable with with uh, with what we were getting when mm-hmm. we signed them. And you know, a lot of guys. I know Ben's got a lot of history with them, so uh, you know. Not that it, that hasn't happened before. I mean, that's... Well, I was going to ask you, is there a consultation when, when they're obviously going through the list of potential guys that you, you're going to inquire? Is there a consultation with you of what you think, of your, your perspective of it? Yeah. Uh, you know, that's one of the reasons I went down to the Dominican Republic with those guys and, you know, look look at Cespedes and, and uh, Soler and, and some other guys. So, uh, you know, Theo would call me... Um, you know, I've had some conversations with Ben about some players, but uh, you know, nothing yet. I mean, we haven't really signed anybody either, right? You know, other than than Chopic. So, uh, but uh, Theo was was always good about giving me a call and asking me what I thought about players. Uh, the last question is just regards to, in regards to the new manager. I mean, you don't really have any history with Bobby Valentine, but you have worked with different managers, other not named Terry Francona before. Um, what is going to be the challenge in terms of integrating yourself in regards to philosophy? Uh, is in other words, I, I don't even know if you've had another conversation with Bobby at all. Do you know anything about? You might not know Bobby, but do you know anything about the way that he likes his hitters to approach things? Has he deferred to hitting coaches in the past? So, what what's your take on how that relationship is? What you're going to have to really go through in regards to developing and nurturing it going forward. Well, actually, we were in contact with each other over the last week a few times uh, on the phone, emails, texts, because uh, he did. He asked me after we spoke a couple weeks ago, uh, and he offered to bring me back. Uh, he wanted me to send him kind of like a rough outline on what my philosophies were as a hitting coach. And, and uh, you know, so I, I emailed it to him, and we kind of went back and forth with it. And, you know, I, I think – I think Bobby, we all know, is a is a, is a hands-on manager, um, and uh, you know I think Tito. It, it's gonna, it's it's going to be an adjustment on both our parts, uh, but I, I think we're we're on the same page. I think we in our conversations over the last couple of days, I think we've uh, we've kind of hit our stride as far as that was concerned, and because it's tough because he doesn't really know me mm-hmm. and I don't know him and. Uh, I think in January he's going to make a trip down to Fort Myers, so I'm going to drive drive down and and uh, spend some time with him. And because it is important, you know, we got to make sure we're on the same page. He's got to understand uh, what my philosophy is, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I think he's got a pretty good of idea. He's got a pretty good idea of it right now. Uh, but there's nothing like sitting down face to face, and you know, at that point we'll go over each individual hitter. You know what I think makes that guy a good hitter. You know what are his quirks? What does he like? What does he? You know what does he doesn't like? What does he not like? And and uh, but he's he's very hands on, which is fine. You know I think Tito was more. You know Mags, do your thing. I'm not going to bother you. Blah blah blah. Uh, I think Bobby is is uh, uh, the type that's that's going to ask me a lot of questions, which is fine. You know I welcome that because. Uh, you know he does. He does have a lot of energy, a lot of positive energy, and and uh, it's it's going to be different, but it's going to be uh, it's going to be fun. Well, Dave, that's I'll, on that. I'll let you go. But it was uh, I really appreciate you joining us. And um, the fact is, is that I think that everyone has gotten past the first month of the off season and actually looking forward to baseball and and, 
and I know that you're probably looking forward to it as well. So uh, thanks Very again. For, so. Yeah, yeah. I think I think everybody is ready to actually start start talking about pitching and hitting and those sorts of things. So yeah. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks for having me on, Rob. Keep your car looking its absolute best year-round with 303 Cleaners and Protectants. 303's revolutionary graphene nanospray coating gives you professional protection in a simple, easy-to-use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to 12 months and give an insane level of depth and gloss. You can also use their brand-new 303 graphene detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine throughout the year. It can even be used for quick cleanups of light dust and fingerprints in between washes. For a one-two punch to keep your car licking its best, look no further than 303's line of graphene products. 303 Graphene Nano Spray Coating to protect and 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine. Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information. Ever wonder what it's like to play in an MLB game? Play Loud is your exclusive look into the fun of the game as we mic up the league's biggest stars and follow them with dedicated cameras both on and off the field. Watch game-time reactions to some of the biggest plays and follow your favorite players as they chat in the dugout with their teammates between innings. You never know what you're going to see or hear. It's baseball like you've never watched before. Tune in for new episodes of Play Loud only on the MLB YouTube channel. MLB YouTube channel. In 1970, a 28-year-old recent law school graduate became the most wanted woman in America. She's also my mother. I'm Zaid Ayers-Dorn, host of the new podcast, Mother Country Radicals. When I was growing up, my parents were on the run from the FBI, at war with the U.S. government. From Crooked Media and Odyssey, Mother Country Radicals, a family history of the weather underground. Listen to the entire first season of Mother Country Radicals right now, here on Odyssey. Odyssey. 